0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windowNation.com and tell them we told you to call. We'll do some gnats later on with Mark Zuckerman from Masson. They swept the Phillies last night, uh, and starting tonight, they've got a huge series with the first-place Braves in D.C., and the weather should be fine all weekend long. Um, So we'll save that for later in the show. Gary Williams will be on the show as well to talk about the draft. I'll get his perspective on a lot of the players, but um, certainly on Hachimura, uh, the player the Wizards selected. Gary's good friends with Mark Few, the Gonzaga coach, and he pays attention to Gonzaga, so we'll talk to him in a little bit as well. Uh, The Wizards got two players in the draft last night Um, at number nine the first ever Japanese player to be drafted Rui Hachimura a 6'8 230 pound power forward out of Gonzaga he was a first team All-American and he was a big part of a team that at one point was ranked number one in the country and was one of the favorites to get to the final four and win the national championship probably on paper Mark Few's best team at Gonzaga. Uh, part of that was because of him, part of it was because of Brandon Clark. They just had a very good team. Um, by the way, just to get this out of the way right now, this is a huge deal for Japan. Hachimura being the first ever Japanese player to be drafted into the NBA is a huge deal for Japan. Uh, by the way, he's got a Japanese mother if you're you're interested. His father is from a West African country called uh Benin. Um, but this is a huge deal in Japan and make no mistake, the Wizards are going to become a favorite team in Japan with gear all over the place and Hachimura Wizards jerseys all over the place. And the franchise is going to benefit from that. Now, I have no idea for sure whether or not this played into the decision. So I'm going to move on from this because A, I don't know. And B, Hachimura is a good player who wasn't overdrafted, you know, according to most experts in most mock drafts. It's not like he was incredibly overdrafted. He was right there in the mix to be a lottery pick, you know, leading up to the draft last night. Now, my view of Hachimura is this. First of all, and we, you know, I did a very lengthy draft preview yesterday that really irritated Tommy. I loved the fact that that irritated Tommy yesterday. Um, I said that I I, I, I like him, but I don't love him. I like a lot of people more, including his teammate Brandon Clark, who I really liked and liked a lot more than Hachimura. That's just me you know, Hatchimer became a guy that we as college basketball fans really became aware of as a potential first round NBA pick. And I talked about him during the course of the season on the podcast. Um, but when he broke out in Maui last November, they beat Illinois, they beat Arizona. And then on the night before Thanksgiving, they beat Duke when in the moment Early in that season, people were talking about Duke as an unbeatable team. Remember, they had opened the season by annihilating Kentucky, and that was an upset that night. Gonzaga was ranked, what, two or three? That night was that a number 1 versus number 2 matchup it may have been. I don't think it was number 1 versus was, number it 2. Wasn't, I think it was 1 versus 3 or 1 okay. versus 4 something like that. And Hachimura was great in that tournament. And he was great against Duke. He he averaged 22 points a game in that tournament. Um shot like 56-57% from the field. He looked the part that night against Duke in particular and it became clear that night that this guy was in the mix to be an NBA first round pick and perhaps even a lottery pick. So it's not like People haven't been talking about Rui Hachimura all year long. He's powerful. He's got long arms. Um, he's one of these guys who has nice, you know, sh- short mid-range feel and and a shot. But the reason that I like Brandon Clark more, if I were in other players, which I'll get to in a moment, there, I you, you saw a lot of Gonzaga this year. We we had a chance to watch Gonzaga a lot this year. Because they were rolling through people in that league. There was a point in that season where, Aaron, remember they were beating teams in that league at one point by like an average of 40 points a night? It was crazy. They lost to Tennessee, by the way, early in the year after beating Duke. And then they got on this roll in league play and just annihilated people in their league. Nobody came close until St. Mary's beat them in that championship game. Right. Um, so they had been on this role and then if you didn't know this, they got to the elite eight and they lost to Texas tech, yeah. um, in a game in which Hachimura missed some key free throws in that game, ended up with 22 points. And I think I, I, I pulled this up last night. It was like seven or eight rebounds, something like that. Um, but anyway. I liked him, but I loved Brandon Clark. And I talked about Brandon Clark on this show yesterday that I thought he was perhaps the best athlete in the draft, the most explosive, had the highest motor, relentless competitor. I just think he's going to be a really good player. And by the way, he's going to end up in Memphis. Um, Memphis you know, had a great draft. Memphis has a has a team to watch here over the next few years because they got, in my view, they got a player that – is more likely, in my view, just my opinion, to be an N- a future NBA MVP in John Morant than even Zion Williamson. Again, just one person's opinion, um, but you know. And then they got Brandon Clark, um, and so they've got some they got some guys on that roster uh, that can finish. You know, I was looking at their roster after the Conley deal, Jaren Jackson Jr. Uh, From Michigan State, you know, who they drafted last year. You talk about long armed athletic finishers with a guy like John Morant with Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, they're not going to be good next year or the year after, but four or five years from now, because NBA, young NBA teams don't win. You've got to figure out the game, you've got to physically mature. But that team's got some guys that can run the floor and finish with a point guard who is will be one of the best passing point guards and scoring point guards both in the league, in my view. So yeah, I think Memphis is one of those teams to to really keep an eye on. So I really liked Brandon Clark and talked about him on the show yesterday, and and I also mentioned that I thought that well, I, I thought it was strange that Cam Reddish was dropping. I thought Cam Reddish was really intriguing, and and if they miss on Cam Reddish and Cam Reddish turns out to be a star and Hachimura doesn't, that'll be the debate more than anything else. I think because I wasn't interested in Nasir Little. I, he was one of the guys I wanted them to steer clear of. Romeo Langford too. Fortunately, they didn't go for either one of those players, and Nasir Little really dropped to 25. This was the guy that, you know, a lot of people thought could be, uh, was probably going to be a lottery pick and, and slipped to 25. It was one of those scenes, by the way, all night long, the cameras on him and his table. and I was, it always breaks my heart for these young kids because they're built up by so many of these people around them. And this is like a major disappointment thing when they don't go high enough. And the funny thing about it, as adults, we can always, we can all recognize this, is that this draft is celebrated by families and players as this end conclusion accomplishment. And it's not, it's the beginning of something. Now, yes, they they're going to get a rookie contract and they're going to get paid, but after the taxes are taken out and everything else goes every which direction, they to 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 create generational wealth, they got to be really good. And they got to get the next contract and then the the next contract would do it if they're really good when they become a free agent. But I always get sort of uncomfortable seeing this night celebrated as like this incredible accomplishment. It's like when the high school players announce their college selections. I mean that's even worse because they're not they're not earning any money in most cases when they make their college choice but I you feel badly for for the people that end up dropping in these drafts NFL draft NBA draft because they have had these expectations and there's this sense of probably internal disappointment and there shouldn't be. This means nothing. And where you get drafted means nothing. Maybe contractually in this first deal. Certainly, first round is guaranteed money, second round isn't. But you got an opportunity to go out and prove everybody wrong. It's what you do from this point forward that matters for a guy like Nasir Little. Anyway, I didn't like him as a prospect personally. Um, I didn't like Langford. There were a couple of guys I didn't like. But. I, it, it wasn't that I didn't like Hachimura. I just liked other guys more. I think I think they perhaps would have been better served to take Cam Reddish there. I already mentioned Brandon Clark in that particular spot. By the way, um, uh, Aaron, one of the other things I, I talked about yesterday was I could not believe that Cam Johnson from North Carolina was being thought of as a late first round selection. To me, He looked like the best shooter in the draft, either he or Tyler Hero. And at 6'9", with his quick release, he looked like a lottery pick to me. And he got picked 11th overall. Shocked a lot of people. Shocked a lot of people. It it shocked me, too, but I loved him as a player. So if the Wizards had been the team that reached for Cam Johnson, a lot of you would have said, oh my God, he got mocked at the end of the first round. What a joke. I would have actually applauded that because I think that he looks like he's going to be a big-time NBA scorer. Who the hell knows? But that's just the way I sort of viewed him. I also said to you and have said to you all season long that Grant Williams is one of my favorite college basketball players from Tennessee. And most of the mocks had him somewhere super late first round or second round. And he went 22 to Boston so I'm glad Danny Ainge and Company recognized Grant Williams as not being a pogo stick jumper or you know super athlete or super explosive, but as one of the smartest, highest IQ players in the draft with a an NBA body already at six eight, two forty-five, two fifty. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Now, if the Wizards had taken Grant Williams at number nine, that would have been a bit of a reach with some of the other players on the board. But he's a player I like. Ty Jerome got picked in the first round at 24 overall by by uh, ultimately Phoenix. And we'll get into the whole, you know, the, the guys wearing the hats of the teams that drafted them but are not the teams that they're going to play for. It's so stupid. Well, We'll get to it right now. Why doesn't the NBA just... If their league year doesn't start until just before free agency, why can't they create a window in which trades are allowed to be finalized before the draft? So that when you're watching the draft, which it's a television show, we can watch the draft, and when a player gets picked by a team, it's the team that he's going to play for. I don't know why that would be so hard. This is a big whiff on their part. It's so stupid, especially when... So for uh, the show that I do in the afternoon, I was trying to book someone after Memphis made the trade. I get the Memphis radio broadcaster and he has to say, oh, if the trade goes through, here's how it affects people. I don't I don't understand that. I really do not understand that at all. Um, But anyway, you know, netting it out on Hachimura. I like him. I didn't love him. I would have, you know, Cam Johnson, Cam Reddish. Uh, any of the Kentucky guys. By the way, P.J. Washington went at 12. Tyler Hero um, went, I think, at 13 to the Heat. And then a a guy that I really liked in this draft, Keldon Johnson, didn't go until the next to last pick of the first round, went to the Spurs uh, at 29 overall. I think he's going to be a very good player, and I would have thought about him at nine. It would have been super early based on where he went. But I think, really, in this draft, after three, after RJ Barrett, there wasn't an order that would have embarrassed anybody. There wasn't a player you could have taken at any level that should have embarrassed anybody. It's a total crapshoot, even one through three, maybe not in this draft, but certainly after three in this draft it is. And we'll find out on all these guys, you know, basketball's funny. It's like, you know, these guys are so young and it takes so long. They are physically, you know, not In many ways, not up to it for a few years. You know, certainly psychologically and mentally, the maturity you have to to have to to now be with grown men, traveling forty-one dates out of out of the year, playing eighty-two games, having all this money and everything that goes with that. It's just an older person's league, and it it always has been. So, for a lot of these players, we're not going to know for several years. As to whether or not they had impact. We do know this looking at this NBA draft, you know, going back, is that somewhere in the neighborhood of about seven to eight out of, t- out of 10 players picked do not have significant impact in the league. That most of these players, five, six, seven, eight years from now, won't be playing in the league. It's not the NFL draft. It's totally different. Uh, In the second round, the Wizards took Admiral Schofield. They traded back into the second round. They bought their way back into uh, the second round, which a lot of people thought they would do. Ben Standig was on here the other day and said, look, they only have five players under contract. They've got to take somebody in the second round. I think they will buy into the second round. And they did. And they took a 6'5", 240-pound. That Tennessee team, by the way, was thick. With grown men, like for college basketball, right? Because they drafted. Ultimately, they drafted a junior and a senior. You know, they didn't draft. You know, two freshmen, uh, which, by the way, is you know they're, they're draft. They're not drafting in their mind's eye projects. I think all of these guys are projects to a certain degree. Um, but Schofield was on a you know another Tennessee and Gonzaga were two really good. Uh, college, uh, basketball, um, teams this year and Schofield in his senior year, you know, uh, he really, he, he, he was a very good player on a very good team with Grant Williams and Jordan Bone and, you know, a team that I, I felt was well, well coached. Um, look, rarely do you look at a second rounder and say, he's a lock to make the team, but you probably say that about Schofield because the wizards need bodies. They need bodies that they they can get under contract for, by the way, a low cost. Um, Anyway, uh, we'll see how it works out for Admiral Schofield. Um, But a competitor, by the way, and an athlete, uh, for sure. A couple of other quick thoughts uh, on the draft. Um, Back to sort of the first first round of, of this draft. I personally think that Kobe White um, is going to be a perfect fit in Chicago. I, if he had gotten to nine, I, the, he would have been a guy that I would have not had a problem with the Wizards taking when Culver was taken at six. And a lot of the talks started with Kobe white to Chicago. I was a little bit disappointed. I was sort of hopeful that, um, he might be there at nine. I do not know what the Wizards thought about him, but as I'm watching the first round develop, that was the guy I was like, come on, have him slip. Let's get a point guard. Because you know, we all like Saturansky. He's fine. He's not a starting point guard in the NBA. They they need to find another guy that can really move. And Kobe White can really move. And by the way, can just shoot it a lot better than John Wall can as an example. I was surprised Jackson Hayes got picked that that high. Um I personally I thought I thought that was way too high. Um, but when we got to nine, I was surprised by Hachemer until somebody tweeted it out before the pick was made. Um, I thought at that point, I really thought there was a really good chance they were going to take Cam Reddish or take the uh, the French 18-year-old who had been mocked to them in so many ways, who ended up with uh, going to the Pistons, I think, at 15 overall. By the way, I mentioned um, Alexander Walker from Virginia Tech at the very end of my very lengthy War and Peace Tolstoy um, uh, draft preview yesterday and said I, I liked him a lot, too, and he went much higher than I think most people thought he would go. Went to 17 um, overall uh, in this particular draft. I think he can be a a really good player. I mentioned Ty Ty Jerome. How about Dylan uh, Windler, the kid who lit up Maryland um, in the first round of the tournament. Maryland won the game against Belmont. A lot of people like this guy. Another incredible shooter, quick release shooter. I was surprised Jordan Poole went in the first round. I like Jordan Poole at Michigan. I didn't think he was a first round player uh, Aaron, I don't know if you did or not. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., who has a chance. I mentioned him on the draft preview, was the final pick of the first round going to Milwaukee. Um, and then you got into the second round, and at that point, I don't know about you, I was just curious as to where Bruno Fernando would go and whether or not the Wizards would would buy their way uh or try to trade their way into the second round. And Bruno Fernando went, you know, overall as the thirty-fourth overall selection. Um, and good for him. You know, he's gonna end up playing for the Hawks in Atlanta with Kevin Herter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, Ke- and they traded up for him, And too. they traded up for him, so they really liked him. And, you know, I have some concerns about Bruno at the next level. Um, and I know during the course of the season, somebody tweeted this to me yesterday. said, you were in love with Bruno. Yes, as a player for Maryland, I was. And I liked his NBA prospects. But as the season went on... I became a little bit more skeptical about him at the next level. He has the body, man. If you've ever seen Bruno up close, this dude is huge and just at 6'10", 240, and let's just say that he gets bigger and stronger with the wingspan, the whole thing. I just would I would have loved to have seen him be more aggressive offensively. Um, I also would have loved loved to have seen him have more of a green light as a shooter at Maryland. And I hope that he gets a chance to stroke, you know, to really shoot the ball. I think he's got a great stroke and could have a great mid-range game. And I actually think he could be a good three-point shooter as a stretch four. I do think that. Um Carson Edwards went as the third pick in the second round. I do have some concerns about Carson Edwards. Great college player, incredible college scorer. I wonder at you know whatever he is five eleven six feet one eighty five or whatever, um, wh- he is a relentless shooter and it's super aggressive. Didn't shoot a high percentage by the way, but God did he have a tournament run. And, and let, let's face it, as far as Carson Edwards goes, remember you know, he looked at one point like a lock to be the big 10 player of the year and then not so much. And then got into the tournament and got on a, a role like we haven't seen. It was one of the great individual tournament runs we've seen in, in recent tournament history. And that put him into play because he was a junior. He actually, even though it seems like Carson Edwards was at Purdue for five years, um, he had a, a year left, went early. So he gets picked in the second round uh, and then bull bull, a guy that some people thought could get picked as high as like top 15 didn't go until the second round, um, at, uh, 44 overall. And remember I mentioned Isaiah Roby yesterday. He was one of those guys. I kind of liked and thought that it, somebody should take a chance on him in the second round. The Pistons did, um, and actually went much earlier than I, than I would have guessed, but I'm glad he did. Cause I think he's got real NBA potential. Um, By the way, we forgot about Ziggy Brezdikis from from Michigan in the year that he had as a freshman. So confident. I think he's got a chance to be a good player. Didn't mention him yesterday. Uh, Amir Coffey, another guy I mentioned, didn't get taken. Kyle Guy did. So did Mariel Shayok, you know, who was a Virginia guy that went to uh, Iowa State. They they both got picked in the second round. And that was essentially it. I mean, in terms of the teams, I thought Atlanta had a good draft. And I think Memphis has had a really good draft couple of days here i think they are building what could be a very interesting nba team not next year or the year after but three four five years down the road if john morant turns out to be what i think you know he could potentially be with the guy with guys like jaron jackson jr and brandon uh clark who they who they drafted um i think this could be a good team and they, you know they, they picked up a couple of other players in that trade for Connolly as well including um wasn't uh who wasn't who was part of that who who came in that deal didn't jay crowder come in that deal the other day i think it was jay crowder and grace and allen yeah. maybe too grace allen was part of it yeah yes. grace allen came as part of that deal um are they're, they're a team i think uh, you know to keep an eye on and obviously new orleans has had a, an incredible uh last few days as well especially if you just conceded the fact that you were going to miss out on having anthony davis sign a long term deal there Um, again, uh, I'm not a big fan of the NBA draft. I watched it last night. It's such uh, most of these players will not have significant impact as professionals. It's just the way it goes. Whereas the NFL draft is much different. Um, and I just don't understand why we can't get the trade, these trades finalized before draft night or even finalized during draft night. Why can't the players walk up and, and be drafted by the team that drafted them, and wear their wear their hat. I don't understand that. I I will say this though, man. Last night, a lot of guys looked drip. Uh, did, didn't you think a lot of guys looked drip last <laughs> night? I had never heard that term until Maria Taylor and others were talking about how drip everybody looked. Was that a term you were familiar with? I had heard it before. Yes, you had. Yes, you're acting like it, 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 that. I'm I'm a complete old you know, out-of-touch guy that I, I, I had not I, heard I, that term. I, 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 well, not that you haven't heard it, but just hearing it coming out of your mouth was... Uh, but this was something you used. were very familiar with. I don't know about very... I, I had heard the term before, yes. Did, were you surprised that it was used so often last night? I'll like, be honest, I watched a good chunk of it uh, at a bar, so I wasn't hearing okay. a lot of it, so... Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times the description drip, which apparently is a synonym for swag, which, which is a synonym for, for those of you that don't know what either means... You look really good tonight, man. You're really pulling it off tonight. There you go. You know who's not drip right now? Me. Um, Gary Williams is coming up here shortly and, uh, but first, a quick word about Window Nation. I've mentioned this over and over again. I've used Window Nation. Listeners have used Window Nation. If you're thinking about new windows, please give Window a shot. It's totally worth your time. I promise you that this is a company that will take good care of you. This has been my personal experience. Window Nation, first of all, will send somebody out to your home whenever it's convenient for you and quickly too. So if you want you know, an estimate tomorrow or over the weekend. They'll come out and do that if that's more convenient for you. It's a free estimate, so you've got nothing to risk. And the price quote they give you is good for for 30 days. Window Nation has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. They've installed over 150,000 windows just in the last year alone, 99.5% of them requiring no follow-up service. They've got over 10,000 online positive reviews, and they give lifetime warranties on their product. And they've got a great offer going right now. Buy one window, get one free, no limit. That's buy one window, get one free with no limit. So you can buy 30 windows and get 30 free if you need 60. It's a lot of windows, but you get the point. Buy one, get one free with no limit. Plus, they are offering their 000 deal. That means zero down payment required, zero interest, and zero payments for 12 full months. Call 86690 Nation or go to windownation.com. That's 86690 Nation and mention that you heard about Window Nation on this podcast. All right, let's bring in Gary Williams, Hall of Fame coach. Gary Williams, former Maryland basketball coach and a frequent guest on the podcast and on the radio show before. And I was just thinking about you this morning because I know Mark Few is one of your better friends in coaching. And so I'm I'm expecting that, that, that you probably watched Gonzaga enough this year to have an opinion on the Wizards picking Rui Hachimura. What did you think?
1: Well, if, if you play for Mark Few, you're going to know how to play. I think that's, that's a big thing now. And I think Golden State, obviously, uh, so much talent, but those guys knew how to play. You know, you, you look at green who played for Izzo, you, you look at, um, a guy like Curry who got to play for, uh, McKillop down at Davidson, one of the better, you know, mid-major coaches out there. Uh, and, you know, it means a lot when, when you know how to play given your talent and, um against Duke in the Maui Invitational. I, th- I thought he was uh the best player on the floor. He had a tremendous game. That was a great early college basketball game. And then I saw him play a couple times during the season in, in the NCAA tournament, and I don't think he quite played at that same level, um uh, but it's there, you know. And I think sometimes you get into the season and you get a couple guys in your team that are thinking about the NBA, and, you know, funny things can happen, but... um I just think overall, you know, for the ninth pick, he he's really solid and uh I think he can contribute and I think that's what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel exactly the same way you you do and and I said yesterday in sort of previewing the draft that I actually liked Um, a lot more I like Brandon Clark off that Gonzaga team as a pro I just to me he is and by the way I think he would have been your type of guy because he's just high motor relentless you know relentlessly competitive you know and just fearless and and Hachimura I thought was a good player but I just thought Clark was better and the way you described it I didn't describe it but you're totally true right about this that early in the year and I mentioned the duke game you know it became clear that this guy looked like a potential lottery pick but later in the year at times in watching him he looked awkward as a basketball player you know dribbling sometimes with his without his head up and not seeing the floor as much and you know, to me, that's always a little bit of a red flag that he doesn't look like the most natural of basketball players.
1: I I agree with that. And I think um, you want to see improvement during the year. I don't care what year you are as a college player. You want to see it in teams and you want to see it in individuals. And, you know, I always look on into March, you know, for the NCAA tournament, like, okay, what teams have gotten better? What player is really coming on strong? And that team usually does pretty well in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so uh, he – but the thing is, once you're drafted, once, once you're done with college, you also look at that as, okay, here we go. You know, this is my future. You know, and I've had guys tell me uh, after they were drafted, they were really going to work hard, and get in great shape to be ready to go with the pros, and I feel like, well, how about playing for us in great <laughs> Yeah, shape, right. You know? <laughs> You know, don't you know why now? Uh, but really, that attitude is out there. Where I think these guys, and he, and he seems like a mature kid, that these guys understand this is their profession now. This isn't, uh, you know, playing in front of great crowds or anything like that. This is this is what you do for a living, and it's a great way to make a living. And you know, you take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so, that's right. I mean, they're get they're getting paid, and, and the mindset and the mindset of the people around them is all right. Now this is serious stuff. You're getting paid now, um, to go play right. like, as if it weren't serious when he was when those players were playing for you. Um, who did I know. You...
1: It's it's.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say it's a, it's a, it's a different mindset. Um... And it takes a lot of maturity in college, I I think, to to really focus on the moment. If you're good enough to maybe have a chance to be a professional player, Uh, especially nowadays with the social media and your friends and all, all those people that are telling you how good you are, it's really hard to understand what you have in the moment.
0: Yeah um we didn't talk before the draft but who did you really like in this draft and you know were there players that you thought teams might be making a mistake if they took them you know in the first round or too high
1: yeah i, w- I was wondering um the uh the third player from duke uh who, who i guess he went 10th in the draft what's his, name? I'm, uh, I'm blanking cam, on his
0: cam, name cam reddish
1: yeah i'm i was wondering about him you know i i I didn't see a motor there that is right. a typical Duke player, you know, that just goes all the time and, you know, that type of thing. And maybe because he was playing with Williamson or, you know, whatever that yeah. he didn't, you know, it was hard to, you know, be compared to those guys. So, but I, you know, and that that's the thing you, now, I, I don't think anybody was sure after the first three or four picks last night. So these guys that they're going to separate themselves, um, by their their attitude effort all those things people you know the analytics are fine i mean you know you can measure guys and, you know all, all that how they shoot the ball and all, all those things but what separates players that are really even and it looked like there was a lot of players from the way everybody was talking before the draft that were really even so if that's the case then the other stuff separates you you know your heart uh, your determination uh your teammates you know if you get with good guys on your team uh, all those things matter
0: You know, I think one of the things that we're seeing, too, is that you can't have enough shooters at the NBA level. And I I think personally that's why a guy like Cam Johnson from North Carolina flew up and went earlier than most people thought. I loved him. I I loved watching him play at Carolina last year. He's 6'9". The ball gets out of his hands quickly. I mean, he's a stone-cold, you know, shooter. And you know the kid right. from Kentucky, Tyler Hero, who can just knock it down from anywhere. You know, even you know, even though Ty Jerome can create a lot of shots in a lot of different ways. You know, he's a shooter. The kid, the other kid from Virginia, got drafted in the second round, Kyle Guy. Um, but uh, I, I thought that that was an interesting thing last night too. And I think that's what you look at with Cam Reddish is that he can flat out shoot it but uh, there must have been you're right though there must have been something about him because remember early in the season you know he's a top three top four pick and you know he went tenth. you know but but there must have been something there with him yeah i just think
1: the the way the nba has set it up um say in the last decade the, the shooting thing has become the most dominant factor they don't care if a guy's undersized, if he can really shoot it, no matter what the position is, as long as he can really shoot it. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at guys, you know, a lot of guys that are around six feet say they're six feet and they're not quite there. You're, you're looking at guys in the NBA now that are, you know, six, six, one, that they can shoot, you know, that they, they can really shoot the basketball. And I think that's, that's the key in the three point line. Obviously, has a lot to do with that. And, you know, the, the philosophy in the game that, there are no bad shots. If you're a good shooter, they want you to shoot the ball. There, there are no bad shots. Transition one-on-three. That's a good shot if you're open.
0: Um, <laughs> right.
1: But, you know, make sure somebody's underneath, or you know, get get your lane right so you can angle to the basket for a bounce pass and a
0: dunk. But those days are done, I think, in the NBA. Yeah, they are. Who was the best pure shooter that you ever coached? That's pure shooter. Um I'd say there's, there's two. Uh
1: Saruna Jessica Cavages yep. and Drew Nichols would be my two.
0: At Maryland anyway. I um, mean, how good of a stroke though did Mike Jones have? I know that it you know, he he didn't have necessarily oh, Mike, the Mike.
1: If if you were if you wanted to do a video and show a kid how to shoot a jump shot, Perfect. you would do Mike Jones. He, he was and he had range. It looked like he was shooting from 15 feet. He could shoot from 30. In practice, we'd mess around at the end of practice. He'd go out toward half court, you know, say 35 feet, and he'd go up and shoot a jump shot like uh, a normal player would shoot from 15 feet. And it just uh, the whole extension, his elevation on the jump shot was incredible to go with it too.
0: Uh, it was picture perfect, and you know, he wasn't the player. Uh, he, you got a lot out of him it was obvious you know he wasn't he he was not a good ball handler which really hurt him because it, it really prevented him from being a guy that could create his own shot but you know off of that right. flex that you used to run and he'd come off one of those one of those screens and and turn and face it was money
1: yeah and he um you know he you know a lot of players work really hard on their game you you, you can tell a player what he has to work on but you know, player has to want to do that, and and Mike, he knew he had some ball handling deficiencies, but he just didn't work enough at it because I thought he could have been a pro. I really did. He yeah. was, he was a McDonald's All American. You know, I mean, he was. Yeah. Uh, well, he's played. You know, and he was a sprint champion in Massachusetts. Uh, he he was really there. There's a guy that had a lot of uh, athletic ability that he didn't put into his game. Um. And it's a shame because you you hate to see guys waste talent.
0: I know we're getting sidetracked here for a moment, but did you know, I mean, I thought Steve Blake turned into a really good shooter, you know, towards the end of his career with you. I mean, he hit some of the biggest shots, obviously, and we've talked about the UConn game many times, but did you think he would become as good of a a three-point shooter in the NBA as he did?
1: No, I think, you know, there's the opposite uh, of a guy that um, got to the league and didn't feel that he had accomplished anything by just making the league. His goal was to play, and he knew he had to shoot the ball better in the pros than he did in college, uh, even though he did make a lot of big shots for us. And, you know, to stay in the league 13 years, I don't care uh, if you're 6'10", 6'2", whatever, That's that's an accomplishment because – you know, all the injuries, all the new players that come in every year. And Steve always had the fight to prove that he was good enough to be there. But if you look at some of the teams he played on and, you know, players he played with, including Kobe Bryant, who I, I, I saw written that Kobe Bryant said Blake was the, his favorite player to play with. So um, that um that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, he... um yeah, that is interesting. I, I'd never, I, I've never seen that quote before from Kobe Bryant about Blake. Um, but he, he had, you know, he had those long arms too, which made him a better defender than I think people thought he would. And I, I loved what you said also about because I had mentioned it earlier in the podcast today that last night when you're watching the draft, the thing that's always bothered me. It's the same thing with with high school recruiting. Is there's this sense that they've just accomplish something that is almost a conclusion you know and it's like no this is just the beginning i mean this is the beginning for you you got to go out and play well and prove it and get additional contracts because you know some of these rookie deals at the end of the first round or second round deals once the taxes come out of it it's not as much as they think it is
1: yeah you know it's it's great that the players celebrate that they get drafted Especially guys after the uh, lottery picks, but at the same time, you know, there's always people that want your job, and you have to go in there understanding that where you are right now is not going to keep you in the league. Right. Um, you know, if you're Zion Williamson, yeah, he, he's going to be there a long time, but just about everybody else, you you better keep working because you see it all the time. These guys fade. Uh, Kid Morrison talking about Gonzaga is a good example, right? Um, who just he was a you know lottery pick, and he he just didn't make it, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, that that's what you guard against as a player. And hopefully all these guys that are telling you how great you are because you got drafted will also tell you that you have to work very hard.
0: Yeah. Um, where are you on Zion Williamson? Do you think he's a superstar at the next level?
1: Um, until I see him shoot in the NBA – because the NBA will keep him from getting. Yeah, everybody says, well, he can take anybody to the basket. Well, yeah, in in college you can, but the NBA is a little different. They got a lot of strong guys there that don't weigh 285 pounds, but they're still really strong. And he's going to have to open up the defense um, when he has the ball uh, by shooting the ball. And he'll he'll get points. In other words, he'll always score because of his uh, ability. And the, the thing he can do that uh, I think I. Over you know overlooked I don't know not overlooked but you know wasn't talked about enough was his ability to pass the basketball I mean you, you see some of the blocks he had as a defensive player yeah some of the uh, you know moves to the basket where he just overpowered guys they they were incredible but I saw him make a couple skip passes that not many people have that type that's almost like a Magic Johnson type yeah. vision for a guy six seven six eight
0: Speaking of vision, Gary, I don't know how much of John Morant you saw. I didn't see a lot of him until late in the season, you know, when Murray State was playing in their conference tournament and then obviously in the two games they played in the NCAA tournament. But that guy (laughs) – to me just looks the part as a as a guy that sees the entire floor sees things happen before they happen is a great passer makes everybody else better and he just to me looks like the guy and I, I said this on the podcast that if you told me that that Zion Williamson and or or, or John Morant became a future NBA MVP I'd pick Morant that they that he looks like a star, and I know it's hard to predict right now. But what did you think of him?
1: Well, first of all, I think that position is a star position now in the NBA. That's, that's so uh, true, point guard position, and so he's he's going to uh, had a chance to show his skills. I mean, you you, you trade a, a, like Memphis did to open up that position completely, uh, even you know before they draft the guy. Right. It's just a statement of how they feel about him and. You know, he he is one of those guys that can do it both ways. Um his passing I, I thought he was the best passing point guard I saw this year, but he's a scorer too. I yeah. mean he's got that mentality. Uh I remember playing against Chris Paul when he was at Wake Forest and he when he Chris Paul was young, he he was incredibly quick, uh, just like Moran is. And he had that ability, if you did double team him, to find who he had to find for them to score. And I think when, when you bring that, as long as you don't forget that you're a passer as well as a scorer, then you're okay. The other players accept you very quickly. And I think that's your job as a rookie coming in at that point guard position when, you know, the veteran players are looking like, hey, you know, it's unbelievable that ha- how they've catered to this guy coming in. So he better give me the ball when I'm open, you know, because guys are selfish, you know, guys – Especially scorers they want the ball, obviously, you know, so they can live up to their rep and their contract.
0: You know, you brought up Chris Paul, and it just it made me think of a specific game when you were coaching um, Maryland against I think it was Dino Gaudio was the coach, and Chris Paul was playing for Dino Gaudio that year, and I think you guys played him in a tournament game, and you threw a zone at Gaudio, and he had no idea what to do with it it and i and i'll never forget it was the turning point in the game and you had a lot of those moments where you you know you figured something out and and by the time they figured it out the game was already over but um that, some of those some of those weight teams i thought i thought actually skip prosser was a, was a good coach and obviously died oh,
1: prosser was a very good coach very good uh, coach he, uh, i don't think he ever got a chance to really show Uh, how good he was. Uh, Another guy like that when I was coaching was Herb Syndak. Oh, yeah. uh, He was always overshadowed by, you know, Dean Smith and uh, Mike Krzyzewski, which is understandable. But at the same time, Syndak could really coach. And that that was where he was. He did his best job at NC State. In other words, he went to uh, Arizona State, had Harden playing for him at Arizona State. And then he's at Santa Clara now. And I always thought that he could coach with anybody. And well, one of the great trivia questions is where Herb Sindak went to college, which was uh, Carnegie Mellon. Which he might be the only
0: pretty hard to get into to come, come out of Carnegie Mellon. That's right. He had to get in
1: there first.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned him. Uh, ESPN's been running the this series um, about. it's called chasing ghosts and it's the basketball programs that had legendary coaches and the programs for all intents and purposes have have never been the same and they did nc state the other day and they they essentially said you know it's never been it's it's not been the same since valvano um and 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 they and they 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 have a program that's won two national championships, but you got to go back to the seventies and eighties to find it. Right. And I thought Sendek, and I'll never forget it. He took that team and that program to five or six straight NCAA tournaments, oh, yeah. and then got rid of them.
1: And, and nobody ever talked about it. You know, they, they they It was just always Duke and Carolina down there. And if you're at Wake Forest, but, you know, it's like Skip Prosser. You know, if yeah. He's, if he's coaching in a different state, people are saying what a great coach he is, and. Things like that, and and that can happen. It can, it can happen to you. And I, it's like, and Belmano was was a very good coach, but at the same time, um, you know, he had, he had some problems at, at NC State, just like a lot of coaches do during their career.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's an interesting conversation, by the way, that to have about programs that sometimes their fan bases. Elevate them to a level that they really aren't, and I think you know with NC State that you know the 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 fan base because they've won two national championships. Sometimes the fan base thinks that they should do better than Herb Sendek, you know, or do better than than somebody that they have. I actually like the guy Kevin Keats that they have there right now, Um, but you know we we've talked about that as Maryland fans before, and sometimes in our own mind we elevate the program to a level that maybe is a little bit higher than it is. But to me, it's always been a top you know. 50, you know, you, you, and yeah. you, you obviously with the national championship elevated it to being maybe not a blue blood with Carolina, Kansas, Duke, and uh, Kentucky, but it was in the, at the next level.
1: Yeah. You know, I always thought of Maryland. We, we could be good enough to play those uh, same. I mean, those, the commitment those schools make administratively um, toward their basketball programs. Right are incredible and that's a big part of your success i think that's one of the overlooked things is how's your administration how, how do they feel do they do everything they can to assist you in other words uh, mike sheshevsky he's earned it but he you know he walks in the office and all he has to do is get ready for practice he doesn't have to put out fires he doesn't have to you know fight uh getting a kid in school any anything like that and you know, it, it does make
0: your life a lot easier as a
1: coach when you when you have that, uh, you know, as right. part of your program.
0: All right. Uh, we we talked draft and we talked, like we usually do, about a lot of things that we weren't intending to talk about. But it's always fun and I always enjoy it and I always appreciate it. Um, I'll talk to you soon. I mean, I know we were going to play golf at some point this summer. Yeah, I guess that hasn't we'll, happened yet. We'll, we'll do that. I, it's, uh, Scott's going to be in town at some point soon, so we'll figure it out and, and get out there. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Gary.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate
0: it. Always great catching up with Gary. Um, always enjoy it, and uh, you know, talk draft a little bit. Um, but as I often do, I digress into Maryland basketball <laughs> stories from the past, which Gary loves talking about. And there's nothing better than being with Gary outside of like an an interview um, environment. Um, he loves and always, you know, for, for guys like him, you run into guys all the time that just want to talk about, you know, certain games and players and get stories. And Gary's always so generous with his time on that stuff and never seems to tire of talking about it, I, I've I've felt this way for a while. I think he has really missed coaching since retiring, and probably as recently as maybe just a few years ago. If if the opportunity had been the right one, would have tried to figure out a way to get back into it. But anyway, um, thanks to Gary uh, for spending some time with us today. Quick word about launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you've got an office. Right now, that you need to move out of, or you're working from home, and you live in the Bethesda area, upper Northwest DC area, and you're looking for a new place, I want you to consider launch workplaces in Bethesda. They've got flexible and affordable private office solutions so you can get work done. It's a beautiful new space, fully furnished offices. They've got conference rooms, co working desks. So if you just want to come in one or two days a week to use a desk, or if you need a conference room, they've got high speed internet, a cafe parking and plenty of it, and it's free. Uh, Get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-800-6714, or go to launchworkplaces.com. That's 240-800-6714, or launchworkplaces.com. All right, there was a story that that, uh, sort of broke while we were Uh, while we've been recording this podcast and Aaron brought it to my attention and I want to read some of the quotes from it but it is right now trending here this morning is the top story on ESPN.com and it's about Alex Smith Fox 5 here locally um Angie Goff uh, uh is she a reporter or an anchor on Channel 5 I don't know I'm assuming she's a reporter maybe she's an anchor I'm not I'm not sure um I think I knew who Angie Goff is, but I'm not sure if she's a reporter or an anchor, but it's, it's, it's not really meaningful um, she got the interview on her podcast. Um, it's called Oh My Goff podcast. And she interviewed Alex Smith. And I want to read some of the quotes from the story. Um, she sets it up by saying Smith feels good enough now to at least consider returning even if multiple hurdles remain and the team views the possibility as a long shot and he said to to Angie Goff quote that's the plan there are steps I've got to conquer before I get there learning to run again that's a big one I'm already throwing throwing isn't a problem but dropping back moving around change of direction the steps I'm at now are lifestyle steps. I'm still working on playing basketball with my kids and running around after my daughter. Those are things I have to conquer anyway, uh, until I get to the point where I'm walking on the field. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about the challenge. The stronger I get every week, the more I do, the more hopeful I am that that's a real possibility. Um, in talking about, you know, the injury, uh, by the way, in, the, in those first two, you know, uh, quotes that I read through, the, the fact that he says he's still learning to run again, obviously that that tells you how far off he is. And he still has to wear that external fixator, that contraption around his knee for another four to six weeks, which would put, you know, him in um, that, that contraption that he's had. It would mean he was in it for seven and a half months. Um, But the fact that he's talking about learning to run again and, you know, these are lifestyle steps that he is, you know, trying to get back to the point where he's healthy enough to play with his kids. These are the things you typically hear from someone who is not super confident about a return to professional football. Um, He said to Angie Goff from Fox 5, he said the the last three months have been life-changing, Uh, and he, and he specifically talks about the first four months after the injury being quote, really, really hard just to be in a wheelchair. As long as I was, when you have independence and lose it, that was the hardest part. Um, he credited by the way, the effect of that external fixator, the thing that he has around his knee, he said that quote, this thing is going to save my leg, save my bone, allow me to heal and walk again and hopefully play football again. Um, but he said, quote, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were mental obstacles. There are things with my leg I don't trust yet. I feel I'm quite a bit further along than I think. Uh, and then he finishes uh, by saying, quote, it's crazy looking and it's looking and And it sucks what happened, but at the same time, people out there have it way worse. Life happens, and for me, I feel like this is a time for being tested and having a challenge in front of me and how I can handle it, closed quote. Um, So uh, good job uh, by Angie Goff at getting that interview with Alex Smith because that's really the first we've heard from him since the injury, Aaron, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. Um, But, you know as a lot of us have been, you know, sort of told off the record that it's a long shot that'll ever, well, first of all, it was like next to zero chance of playing in 2019 and a a super long shot of ever playing again. Um, And, you know, I think some of these quotes indicate that although I'm sure he'll give it a run and, and everybody, you know, who is a football fan and a Redskins fan wishes him the best. Clearly the Redskins, you know, are moving on. I mean, they, they, they drafted the quarterback that they hope is starting in 2020 and then for the next 10 years beyond that I mean that's what they did in this draft is they drafted their franchise quarterback because they they clearly cannot trust and don't view Alex Smith um, as a guy that's going to be able to come back and play at a high level but you know obviously I think all of us just want him to get back to the point where he's healthy and from a lifestyle standpoint as he said um, it's not a major factor for him. Uh, okay, a uh, quick mention uh, about the podcast on com. So I know I mention this all the time, that if you're not comfortable on your you know iPhone or any phone listening to a podcast, that it's really easy to listen to it on the website. I urge you to do that, too, every once in a while, because we also blog there every once in a while on the website, com. Um, but it's also in many ways, Aaron, it's easier to fast forward and rewind, you know, uh, than it is on iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. And somebody brought that up to me yesterday because I was out on the golf course and they said, I've never listened to the podcast on iTunes. I've only listened to it on your website. It's very easy. And I just find that actually it's much easier to rewind and fast forward through. Um, personally, I think it's easy to do on iTunes, but I get it because you can really take a chunk out of it with your, you know, uh, with your mouse by just, you know, scrolling ahead and clicking. So check it out on the KevinChanShow.com, uh, occasionally, uh, if you will, but we still prefer that you subscribe on iTunes, rate us, review us, that works out best. All right, let's bring in Mark Zuckerman, who covers the team for Masson, uh, Nats tonight with the first of three, a huge three-game set um, with Atlanta uh, downtown. Um, Before we get to that, Mark, you know, I'm glad that they ended up getting three out of the four games, and I think actually they could have potentially gotten all four in I, I don't want to spend a lot of time belaboring you know whether or not these rainouts and the suspensions were worthy or not but they got three out of the four in against Philadelphia and won all three and I thought won all three impressively with by the way one of the more memorable pitching performances um in in recent you know Nats history with the black eye game I guess they're calling it now with Max Scherzer um you surprised that they were really, in many ways, dominant over the three games that they actually got in against the Phillies.
2: I was I was impressed, very impressed with it. Now, I mean, the Phillies came into this kind of reeling themselves; they've got some issues, and um, certainly the Nats caught them at a good time. But it's tough to win to sweep any doubleheader. I don't care who you're playing to win two games on the same day um, is never easy, and then to come back the next day and win, and like you said. It, it was pretty much convincing fashion. I know the, uh, the games were close, but it never really felt like they were in danger of, of blowing it. Um, so I, this is a different team, and you know it's, it's a little too early to get too excited about it, but I think what stood out to me is, if you think back over the years, whenever they've had one of these big series uh, where they're maybe trying to get back in a race in the years that they didn't make the playoffs, and you said, okay, well, here's their chance. They've got to do it now or else it's not going to happen. They've more often than not uh, fallen flat in those series. And so for them to, to seize control back here, um, win all three games, play well in all aspects, uh, win it pretty convincingly, I think it says something about this team that um, they are not nailing it in, that they, you know they are determined to try to get themselves back in this thing. It's a long way to go. We'll find out more this weekend because the Braves are a much better team and playing much better right now. But that was a really good, important statement, I think, that they made, at least in relation to how they compared to the Phillies at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I. you know, you're right. Some of these games were close, obviously, but I don't think they trailed in any game unless it was the first game, the day game, where, where no one was there. Maybe there was a, a first... Uh, there was. Uh, I think they were down one nothing, but then they scored right away. Yeah, scored right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're within two games of 500 now and they're clearly climbing their way back into this thing and they can you know obviously climb their way much back into it this weekend what do you attribute you know this stretch going back to you know when they lost the four in new york against the mets because it's really and i think at that point they were 12 games below 500 what do you attribute this run to i know you know healthy bodies offensively has been a big help but what else
2: It's really, I think, a combination of everything. Yes, the lineup is much healthier, and that makes a difference, not just in the offense, but their defense is so much better, in part because you have Trey Turner playing shortstop every day, Anthony Rendon healthy, playing third base every day, Um, Brian Dozier playing a much better second base for them, Uh, the outfield playing much better. I mean, think about how many games they lost early on where you said, boy, if they had just made this one play or if they hadn't botched this one play, it might have been a different outcome. Well, now you're talking about games that they're winning in part because of plays they're making in the field. Last night was a great example of it, um, a couple of plays at the plate to throw guys out. So that that's a big part of it. Uh, the back end of the rotation has been much better. I know Fetty wasn't so no, great last right. night. Um, but in the bigger picture, he's been better. And Anibal Sanchez has been phenomenal since coming back from his hamstring injury. So that's a thing. And then the bullpen... Is stabilized. I'm, I'm not going to go out and say it's a, a good bullpen yet, but Tanner Rainey has really stepped up to, and, and showing that he could be a, a reliable setup man. Wander Swirl when used, I think properly, not overused, has showing that he has the stuff to be effective. Um, so I think it's a combination of all these things, and, and and just from an attitude standpoint, look, they could have folded after that new york series they absolutely could have i don't think anybody would have been surprised if they had instead they bonded together and they said this is not who we are we know we're better than this and instead of going out there and now like trying too hard which i think was really the problem early on everybody feeling the pressure and and just trying to do too much they're just trusting the fact that they are good players that they have the ability to win games uh, and you're seeing just a much more relaxed and just um uh competent team out there than we saw for the first two months.
0: Uh the Phillies are have not necessarily been um very competent recently anyway and and Bryce Harper's, you know, having obviously a subpar season. So much so that, you know, they tried him last night in the leadoff spot. And I, I know that the Nats tried that a few times with him, you know, out of necessity on, on occasion. And and I guess for sort of experimentally uh, at other times, you, you probably remember specifically when they did it and the reasons why. Um, but, you know, at this point, you know what kind of team do they have? Do you still consider them a contender? They're you know they're still a couple of games ahead of the Nats. I think you know what, what is it at this point? Is it what, are they three games ahead of the Nats? Something like that? Three up on the Nats, yeah, and they're I think a half game out of the wild card. So, yeah. look, I, I, I think it's important to look at, at teams
2: in different ways. Here, um, we're seeing them at their worst right now. This is not who they're going to be. Uh, How much better they're are they? Better. Well, but that yeah, that's now the question. So um, I think the lineup has the potential to still be very good. Now, the Andrew McCutcheon loss is
0: huge. Yeah, right.
2: And, and this is what set up, ultimately, why Harper was leading off last night, because they tried Gene Secura there. It didn't work out. Um, they don't really have someone now to fill that role. So they, they just decided to pump everybody up a few notches, and now Harper's hitting first and Hoskins second. So that was big. And they've got their own bullpen issues. They don't, they've got back of the rotation issues. And I think the, the most surprising thing, you know, we spent all spring talking about who's going to sign Craig Campbell, who's going to sign Dallas Keuchel, And the Phillies were this team that had all the money in the offseason. They spent a lot of it on Harper, but they still have plenty more room to operate. And you thought, boy, they're going to have to come away with one of these two guys because they had a need in both departments. And then they didn't get either of them. And psychologically, that's got to be a demoralizing thing for the guys in that clubhouse. Um, you know, there's still opportunities for them to try to improve their trades. But I think they blew a chance there to help themselves out. and um, The Braves are playing really, really well. The Nationals are now playing well. And there's a lot of pressure in Philly. Uh, this was supposed to be the year it all came together. And at the moment, at least, it's not. I, I, I still think they're going to be in this thing. They're not going to fall apart completely. But... Um, they're finding out that it's not as easy as maybe they thought it would.
0: Have been. What's going on with that fan base as it relates to Harper right now and the contract that he signed? Is there a lot of pressure? Is he feeling it or not?
2: Yeah, I think he is, but he he knew what he was getting into when he signed there. So he'll say all the things about hey, uh, they they can boo me. That's okay. I I get it. I understand. And you know, he hits a home run and they're all on their feet and, and they love the guy. So um, I don't think it's that, but certainly, and I think this was a. a a fear all along with him just we've seen him over the years we know how he responds to different types of pressure um i knew he was going to come out with his hair on fire this year he's going to try to make everything happen and, try, yeah. and you can even see it happened on the bases. he got thrown out twice that in third the at home yeah oh yeah making the final out of an inning just trying to make things happen and again um kind of like the nationals when they weren't going well earlier this year that's the last thing you want to do you need to just trust yourself trust your teammates don't try to do too much. So I'm not surprised that he's maybe putting that pressure on himself uh, to do uh, a whole lot. But, um, you know, in the long run, he's going to be fine. Now, is he going to be that MVP player that we saw from a few years ago? Maybe not. Maybe he just doesn't have that in him. But I also know from watching him over the years, when he goes bad, he goes really bad. But when he goes good, he goes really good. And that, there's going to be another good stretch here at some point as he starts to get more comfortable with the plate.
0: Yeah, those that are weighing in on this deal already as if it was the worst deal uh, of, of all time, they still have more than half of their games left in his first year. In Philadelphia. 13. Yeah, <laughs> and we've seen him start hot, then sort of struggle in the middle portion Uh, of the of the baseball calendar and then you know really ramp it up towards the end of the season i'd be surprised if he doesn't end up having a statistically you know not not a bryce harper mvp year which was clearly at this point the aberration um but a but a much better year than we see right now. Maybe hitting somewhere in the two sixty five range with a better on base percentage that he has right now. Which, by the way, I think is okay his on base percentage. Um, but I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get on one of those runs. He's too good not to.
2: Yeah, I agree. And if you remember last summer at the All Star break, I want to say he was hitting two thirteen.
0: Oh, I thought it was even. I think it was two oh nine at one point.
2: I think he bottomed out there and then maybe yeah something like that. And then you know he finished close to two fifty. So. Right. Uh, it got lost because the team wasn't playing well and his numbers were so bad early on, but he had a very good second half last year. and um, Yeah, I do think he's going to go on one of those uh, stretches here at some point where it looks more like the guy that we remembered.
0: All right, let's talk about Max Scherzer's performance the other night for a moment. Um, you know, I, I, that was one of those games that I ended up just sitting there um, compelled by it to see him and the way he looked and the fact that he was pitching and it was a big game against the Phillies and all that added up. Um, how, how, I mean, I, I don't want to exaggerate what it was, but is it a game, you know, that was worthy of sort of having a nickname to it, which I've seen some people calling it the black eye game. Was it that compelling to you? You're there every night.
2: Yeah, it was. And now, you know, maybe we get caught up in the moment a little too much, make a bigger deal out of it than it was. Here's what was kind of funny to me. Afterwards, Max is trying to downplay it. He's saying, ah, it yes. wasn't really in any pain. It looks a lot worse than itself." But then, two seconds later, and about three lockers over, we go to talk to Brian Dozier, and he calls it one of the most impressive things he's ever seen and says Max is probably the best pitcher of this generation. So Max may not have thought it was a big deal, but the guys in that clubhouse sure did. Um, that sets a tone for everyone else. Uh, look, whether... It actually affected his performance or or made it any harder for him to pitch. I don't know. But let's not lose sight of the fact that he put together a huge start against a good team in a game that the Nationals felt they needed to win to, again, reset the tone here and show that they are legitimately getting back in this thing. So um, that was a huge start for them. And, um, you know, am I going to put it, you know, top? two or three Max Scherzer starts? No. I mean, there's no hitters in a 20-strikeout game, um, you know, the 300 strikeouts last year, but it, it definitely goes up there, and it's something that we're all going to remember when it's all said and done. Um and, you know, and it made for just a pretty cool moment. I think it was just a, a good convergence of everything coming together on that night, uh, and and he relished it, you know. He he. He doesn't mind the spotlight like that. I'm not saying he milked it because he doesn't do that, but he he likes that spotlight and he likes to rise to the occasion uh, and he likes to show everyone uh, that he will go out there and do anything for his team when maybe others would not have given the way that he looked.
0: What I loved about it, too, and you touched on it, is that, you know, in this day and age that we live in, um, there were, there are a lot of athletes that would have, you know, tried to turn themselves into heroes for going out there, looking the way they looked. And as you mentioned, and Tommy and I talked about this yesterday, his response was, you know, trust me, it looks a lot worse than it actually is. I don't really have any pain. And what he does, and, you know, it's a lesson for a lot of these people, you know, Watch Max Scherzer. He lets others do the talking for him. You know, you, you went to Dozier, and Dozier said, one of the greatest pitchers of our generation or whatever, let other people do the talking for him. I love this guy, and I, 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 I believe him, actually, that he probably wasn't in anywhere near the pain that it looked like. Um, black eyes tend not to be painful, you know, uh, but he, you know, there was some swelling there. But I just love the fact that he didn't take advantage of the moment to make himself out to be some sort of, you know, martyr. Uh, for going out there.
2: Yeah, and look, he just views this as this is his job, and the yep. most important thing he can do is show up for work every day, and that doesn't just mean the, the fifth day when he pitches, but all the days in between, everything that he does to prepare himself for it.
0: Right. And so in
2: his mind, to not take the mound when he was supposed to. And, and and look, let's be honest here. They very easily could have started Fetty in that game. They could have started Austin Voth, who was called up as the, the, the double header extra man. Um because of the rainouts, Scherzer did not have to pitch. They yeah. easily could have pushed him back uh, to, to tonight and had him pitch against the Braves. But his mindset is, this is my job. I'm supposed to do this. I'm setting an example for everyone else. Uh, if I don't go out there, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And so th- that's just the attitude he has, and it is infectious, and uh, it, it certainly rubs off on everyone else next
0: all right. So tonight, Dallas Keuchel's pitching for the first time for the Braves, um, and you've got three. This is a big series. You know, we we've, we've talked, you know, in the past over the years about you know May and April and how important games are, and you know again they're not even halfway through their schedule, but for mid to late June, this is a pretty big series. They've got an opportunity to you know continue this momentum and then have from a number standpoint at the end of this weekend, looking up and saying, wow, no, we're now legitimately in a race, you know, approaching July in the All-Star break. How how will they match up with this Atlanta team that they're facing right now versus the team that they faced a few weeks ago on the road where they won two games in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, that, I was going to say, they've already beaten them twice, the only two times they faced this year, but it, it was a little different circumstance. I think they faced Kevin Gosman, who's been terrible, and uh, I'm blanking on the other one, but um, that was a little better matchup for them. Right now, you're talking about you're not going to have Scherzer, you're not going to have Strasburg in this series. Um, i thought I, sorry, you do have Strasburg No, you have Strasburg tonight, Strasburg tonight right? Yeah, 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 I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. You're right, Strasburg was supposed to pitch last night. Uh, Strasburg tonight, Sanchez has been good, and then somebody has to be called up, probably Joe Ross, for Sunday. So you don't have Max, you don't have Corbin. So
0: Corbin, can't, Corbin can't pitch Sunday.
2: I don't think they would bring him back on short rest. Okay. Uh, I I'd be surprised that they would do that. Um, you know, you, you never say never, but I, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, so you know, it's a little bit not ideal. And then the Braves have uh, you know Kiekko, who's going to be fired up tonight, uh, Evich, and then their top rookie uh, Soroka, who's starting on Sunday. So it is a tougher matchup. The Braves are playing really well right now. Now, all that said, the Nationals have won their last, I believe, five games against the Phillies and Braves. Right. Um, their overall eight and five against those two teams, something like that. So, I mean, they are showing that they can compete with the teams that are ahead of them in the division. Um, Here's an opportunity now, given how much better they're playing, to come out and say, however many games they win this weekend, to say, hey, we are still on par with you guys, or maybe even better if they win a a couple of games, uh, and just sort of remind the Braves that, hey, you know what? We're not out of this thing. You don't have this thing locked up. They're going to see them a lot over the rest of the season. There's still 17 games between these two teams, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for them to try to make up the ground. Um, But I think this weekend is more about sort of the the, the statement, potentially, that you can make as opposed to the practicality of, well, how many games back. Look, they're not going to be in first place at the end of the weekend. That can't happen. But they can send a statement to say, hey, don't forget about us. We're going to see you plenty of times over the rest of the summer
0: yeah i mean i i think this i mean this is one of those weekends they could they could be four and a half back on monday they could be ten and a half back on monday um but 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 i would think that you know it would be really important from a psychological standpoint to win this series to win two out of the three this weekend because that puts them you know in in a pretty good spot sitting there six and a half back with as you mentioned still a lot of games left to be played head to head and and otherwise um Thank you for doing this, especially on short notice. I I always appreciate it and enjoy it, Uh, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mark.
2: My my pleasure. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Follow Mark uh, on Twitter, at Mark Zuckerman. Uh, Mark's really good at what he does, knows the game, and and is there with the team virtually every game. Big series. I'm going to pay attention to it and watch a lot of it, I think, this weekend uh, against Atlanta. Um, Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Gary Williams. Thanks to Aaron. Back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.